And as always, we'd like to thank our partners, Firebird Rising and the beautiful game network, BGN. You can go to their websites to see more of their content at firebirdrising.coreair, that's K-O-R-R-A-I-R.com, or at bgn.fm. Let's get to the show. Welcome to this episode of the Rising as One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns here with Jeff Went and Matt Trainer, and we are coming off the heels of a very contentious, very controversial, and very unfortunate one-nil loss at home to San Antonio. Any thoughts before we dive into the game analysis? Uh, definitely an interesting. You know, it was a great game for the fans to see for once. You know, some great action both ends. Uh, you know, nice to see some some reinsertions to the lineup of some players that had been injured, you know, but obviously, you know, as we will talk about, you know, the, the critical call of the game late in the late in the second half, and we'll get into that later. Uh, Matt, what were you, you know, any thoughts before we delve into things? Yeah, I mean, last night I was, um, you know, throughout watching the match, I was just kind of expecting it to end in a, a 0-0 draw or you know, whoever made the first defensive uh, screw-up, but I guess I didn't account for a bad penalty call either. Uh, you know, there's you know, there's something up when on the broadcast, the play-by-play man and the commentator both say that it should not have been a penalty. And these aren't local, regional-biased broadcasters. These are the uh, USL broadcasters working through USL out of Tampa, uh, Mike Watts, and I don't know who the color guy was for that match, but these are really people that don't have any reason to have bias for the home team, and they both acknowledge it on the spot. It should not have been a penalty. The USL match report even said that the <laughs> ref ruled that it was a penalty, and then there was a whole quote from Josh Cohen saying, you know, I don't know what more I could have done. I stood up tall. That's all I could really do there. Usually I think, what could, what more could I have done? When the when a penalty is called this time, I don't know what more I could have done. So, um, but we'll we'll dive into that a little later. I think one last thing is it was still a good effort from the team, and you know the San Antonio keeper Restrepo made two very important saves. Uh, it could have been a lot different if not for that. But let's get into it. All right, let's get into Saturday night's match against San Antonio. Uh, another formation change again by Patrice Carterone coming out in a 4-1-4-1 formation this time uh, this week. A lot of changes to the back line. Jor- Jordan Gibbons inserted into the right back position for Cody Wakasa. Amadou Dia finally goes back over to the left again. Stewart comes back in the lineup uh, at center back along with Ramage. You saw uh, Blair Gavin. Uh, play the holding mid position uh, in place of, Ga- of uh, Miguel Tim this week. Uh, great to see Chris Cortez get a start and get back into the lineup this week. He started on the right-hand side of the four midfielder formation with Sean Wright Phillips and Eric Avila in the middle. And good to see Jason Johnson get back in the starting lineup again on the left-hand side. And then obviously Didier Drogba at the top. So 
early on, you know, a lot of feeling out process. So, you know, not a lot of action happening in the first uh, eight to ten minutes or so. Good to see a, 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 a nice run by Jordan Gibbons early uh, from about 50 yards and, and trying to get a shot off on net, but it was blocked. Uh, you saw Drogba with a nice little cheeky attempt there from about 25 yards out in the 10th minute that uh, Restrepo had to kind of leap up in the air and, and get to it. Uh, and, then, and then Restrepo makes another great save. You want, talked about one of the big saves that he made early, uh, 13th minute. Chris Cortez throws a nice ball in the middle, and Diego Restrepo makes a nice save there uh, on Drogba's header. Uh, get to the middle part of the first half. Uh, Billy Forbes made a great play uh, going down for San Antonio. Uh, it kind of turned Jordan Gibbons around a little bit. Uh, made a couple defenders miss, forced a nice corner for them, but couldn't couldn't get anything out of it. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips had a nice shot from distance. Uh, that Restrepo saved in the 30th. I mean, that was a pretty good rocket from Phillips. We haven't seen that in quite a while come out of him. Uh, Forbes had a dangerous cross in the 36th, you know, but thankfully nobody was on the back post. Uh, Cohen had to make a great save in the 41st. He had to make a diving save there on tier pack. Uh, Forbes had thrown across to tier pack right in front and, and uh, Cohen made a nice diving save. Um, but for the most part, you know, I thought it was a good first half. It was it was fairly balanced. The the back line played very well. Um, good play in the middle. You know, holding San Antonio from making its deep runs. So to go into the half at nothing, nothing, uh, kind of seemed like a victory for Phoenix Rising. What did you think, Dominic? Yeah, I think that's one of our better first halves of this entire season. Uh, to create the two best scoring chances of the first half was something that I really would not have expected if you had told me going in. Um, it's just, it's kind of insane how we play well in the first half and get zero points to show for it. Maybe we should start playing like crap again and get three. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, just, I was very concerned about giving up a goal first 15, 20 minutes, and we really didn't give even any real half chances up in those first 15, 20 minutes. I mean, Billy Forbes was able to make a strong run late in the first half and get a ball in that uh, Austin Tierpak really could have done better with. But for the most part, the rising defense held its own, and you can really tell that Carterone must have gotten into them after last night's or last week's effort, and he really must have done something because the the unit looked a lot better in limiting San Antonio's opportunities. Uh, I think another thing to note, too, is that Gibbons was getting the start at right back over Wakasa. I don't know if that's going to be a consistent thing, but we did look a little bit more steady back there. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. I thought the back line looked really good. I liked the changes of uh, bringing Stewart back on, finally. It was good to see him back out on the pitch, um, you know, after a few weeks. Um, Dia being out on the left, I thought, you know, Jeff's been talking about this for weeks about get him out of the center and put him back on the left. And, um, you know, I thought he did pretty well out there and offensively. I mean, you know, we had a couple opportunities and, you know, against us tough San Antonio, I thought the first half was pretty good. Um, San Antonio so far this season has only given up 10 goals in 19 matches. So pretty tough opponent and the best, uh, defensive team in the whole USL. Yeah. And, and I think, Another, I guess one last thing too is, and unfortunately it, 
it's going to get lost in the shuffle because of all the, you know, chat about the penalty kick. But Diego Restrepo made two brilliant saves, and I want to see him for USL save of the week because the 13th minute save he made on the Drogba header, I think most USL goalies concede that one. It was destined for just inside the left post. And then I think the save he made on the Sean Wright Phillips shot around the 30th minute might have even been more impressive because that ball was going right for the top left corner. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips did well to create that space, get the shot off just in time as a defender was sliding in. And, you know, Restrepo was way out there. He was over the six-yard line. Um, I don't think a lot of keepers would have had the awareness to have that quick reaction and punch it to the side for a corner. So that was a big save. Two really quality saves. And, you know, I think he's the man of the match. Even if that penalty isn't called, I think it's a very clear choice, too, that he was the man of the match. No, I totally agree with you there. And I think there's even a better save that we'll talk about later uh, that Restrepo made that that really, really, uh, you know, held the match for them. And and we'll talk about that shortly. So Um, some last thoughts before we move into the second half. You know, I really like the shape of the the, uh, back line last night. I, I agree that, you know, with Dia pushed up a little bit on the left, with Gibbons pushed up on the right, you know, I, I, it seemed like a better formation last night for this team. And, and, you know, we talked earlier before we started taping this podcast that, you know, was last night's effort of, you know, not seeing as much offensive firepower. Was that a byproduct of what San, you know, what San Antonio does, you know, on the pitch, or was that just a byproduct of, of the way the format, you know, of the way, maybe the formation was and, and not having the, the players that we would normally have as the attack. And, and I think we all agreed that, that it was basically, you know, what San Antonio does and we had to play, you know, to, you know, we had to, to play our defense more towards San Antonio's strengths, which, you know, in our mind meant, you know, a few less chances that, that we would see on the offensive end. And I think it showed last night, but I, you know, I think we'll get back to our, our offensive ways as, as we move on further here in this season. So, so getting to the second half of play and right off the bat two you know, we didn't see many yet. We saw a couple of yellow cards to San Antonio in the first half, but boy, did the referee bring out the yellow cards in the second half. I mean, right off the bat, Johnson picks up one in the 49th. Ramage picks one up a minute later, and you're thinking, oh, boy, here we go with this. You know, we move on. Cortez had a nice header in the 54th uh, that was saved by Restrepo. Uh, Forbes had a cross in the 60th that, that Cohen grabbed, you know, knowing that Tierpak was going to be on that backside again. Uh, Watson comes in in the 66th for, for Avila, which I thought was an interesting move. You know, I, I tend to see Watson as more – if you're going to play Watson, I think he's more of a, either your holding mid-type player or he's more of your out-wide player. So seeing him come into the middle kind of kind of surprised me a little bit. But, but he you know, he didn't do too bad of a job in the minutes he was in there. Um, then we get to the big play in the 69th, what we thought was going to be a clear goal by Didier Drogba. You know, his shot headed off the line by Noonan. You know, caught caught Restrepo out of out of the you know his his comfort zone, and and fortunately for them, uh, Newman Newnham was right there and was able to uh, to punch that you know punch that away and out for a corner. Uh, then we see the uh, the introduction of Alessandro Rigi 
back into the lineup in the 72nd minute for Chris Cortez, who had a nice uh, a nice 70 minute run in his first game back. I thought Cortez looked really good playing uh, playing on that right hand side. Uh, really brought some energy to the match, but you could tell he was kind of lagging a little bit as he got to that point. And boy, what a what a great move by Carteron to bring Rigi right in, and you could see definitely right away the speed that we missed from Alessandro Rigi got four minutes right into his, his appearance, uh, taking on Chris Tierpak down that, that left-hand side. And, and you know, what a great run, but unfortunately Tierpak fouls him, draws a great big crowd, a little scuffle between Tierpak and, and Rigi. Both of them pick up yellows. Sean Wright Phillips picks up a yellow, you know, within all that for, for descent. Uh, Good to see some good to see some uh, some fire in the boys, you know, at that point. Because you know, I, I thought for a little while there in the second half, even though there wasn't a whole lot of action, I thought San Antonio was kind of pushing them around a little bit. You didn't see as much of the pushback as I think you would have liked to have. But seeing Rigi's energy and seeing you know him interjected right into the match, it was great to see that fire kind of come back in the boys there for a little bit. So then, obviously, we get to the the key moment of the match. Uh, Cesar Elizondo's driving down uh, the left hand side, uh, kind of beats Peter Ramage a little bit, you know, on, on the ball. Ball gets out in front of him, gets a touch on the ball. Josh Cohen's coming to play the ball just as easily, you know, out near the the corner of the 18. They collide. Referee decides that. Cohen's not necessarily playing as much of the ball, but playing the man calls the penalty. And obviously we all know what ensues from there. The, you know, the crowd, not happy with the decision. Phoenix, the, the rising bench was not happy with the decision. So then Rafa Castillo steps up, hits the penalty right down the middle. Josh Cohen guesses to the right and it's a one, nothing lead. Now they're on the back foot all of a sudden when you're thinking you at least got a point in the pocket. Now you, now you're staring at nothing in the pocket. I think now might be a good time to address the uh the fan reaction to that call. Uh as unfortunate as it was from our perspective, several fans threw water bottles and things out on the field. Um you know, from I think it started on the LFR side, although I don't think it was the hardcore LFR people and then I saw one out near I where I was with the banditos and uh that's just uncalled for. Um there's really no place for that at all. You know, if if we're being compared, you know, to Liga MX matches first with the Puto Chen, now that's finally been eradicated. But now we have people throwing bottles on the field. You know, everyone's frustrated there. Everyone's stunned. But that should never be the first reaction. Uh, and now you're likely looking at fines. It's just, it doesn't look good, even though it was a really tough one to take. And, and you know, to their credit, I think LFR came out pretty quickly afterwards and, you know, said, this is just not acceptable. Anyone who wants to do that can leave our group. So, Yeah, you, you, couldn't, nec- you couldn't necessarily tell from the press box where it was coming from. You could just see it was coming from that general area, you know. You don't want to to 
to badmouth anybody per se, but you know, when you when you think about it, you know, I'm sure MLS is is keeping a close eye on this, and that's you know obviously something that that is is not something they want for their game. So obviously, you know, maybe you know this week while you know the teams are you know meeting, you know having their league meetings in Chicago during the MLS All Star break, and and USL usually holds their league meetings around the same time. Maybe they'll get some. You know, the, the, you know, a little talking to and just say, hey, you know, tone it down and, you know, let's not let that happen again. And, and you know, bygones be bygones and be done with it. So I was just kind of thinking, hopefully they also address the uh, inconsistent refereeing we, we've been getting, you know, not just last night. You know, and I, I hate to be the type of person that complains about that. And I try not to, but I think last night it was just blatant that it was a bad call and, it's not the first time we've been kind of screwed on a on a bad call and probably won't be the last. So, you know, hopefully pro referees, you know, they hopefully they review some of the matches and questionable calls throughout the weekend and can use this as maybe a learning opportunity. Yeah, and I think I think two things that might give some context for that. Um this was referee Mark Alatine's first game as a USL head referee. Why he would be assigned to such a like a hotly contested um, rivalry kind of match where even the time we played San Antonio earlier on was a very chippy, very physical match. I don't know why they would think that that's the correct match for him to get as his first assignment as a head ref. I think he'd only done two matches as a fourth official at the USL level. He had done some women's uh, soccer games before too. But so, I mean maybe at least do a better job of assigning referees. I mean, someone's got to break through at some point. I get that. But, you know, maybe maybe if the guy's making, you know, his refereeing debut, throw him in there for that Portland Timbers 2 Los Dos game. Right, yeah. <laughs> Instead of Phoenix-San Antonio game with major playoff implications for both teams. It's clear that he lost control of the match last night. I mean, first match has had a referee gave out 10 yellow cards, and all but three of those were for arguments or dissent. And and by the last 20 minutes, you could tell that neither side really respected him much. Or the crowd. Another stat that um, is of note. Uh, in USL matches this year, Phoenix Rising has now conceded nine penalty kicks and been scored on eight times off of those penalties. We've only got two penalty kicks for ourselves. Uh, the only match where we had more penalties in the opposition was Los Dos, where the winner was converted by Jason Johnson for a 2-1 win, but, um, you know, I think a really loyal fan, John McPherson, uh, had a pretty decent explanation for it, saying that, you know, us in the attacking third do not put enough pressure on opposing defenses, uh, putting them in tricky positions where they might need to commit a penalty, but, and then, and then on the defensive side, you know, there have been a few disputed ones, but, like, quite a few that were just desperate defending, um, which I think is fair, but I don't know if that fully explains a seven penalty kick difference. There have definitely been a few on both sides that, you know, went begging. And one that comes to mind for me last night, there was a corner kick in the first half where, you know, maybe you don't call this, but if you're going to call the one on San Antonio, Peter Ramage got shoved down in the box on our end. We were both in the supporters end and Peter Ramage got pushed down. Arms were extended. Nothing was called. So, you know, again, just, uh, it, it seems 
it seems like we've been on the wrong end of these a little too often this year. And, you know, we were able to get away with it a couple times against Vancouver, against Oklahoma City. But, you know, if you start seeing the same old thing happening again, it does get under your skin at some point. Especially against teams like San Antonio, there's no room for any kind of error, whether it's from Phoenix or from officiating. Yeah, no, I totally agree there. And, you know, one of the things, too, is we got to look at is, you know, I, you know, if this is going to be your first match as, as a head referee as well. Um, how about growing a little thick skin? I mean, you, you're going to have to learn to grow it somehow. But, boy, you know, seven yellows for descent alone, that just to me screams that, that you know, you, you really haven't quite grasped the concept of developing a thick skin with some of the players that are out there. So, Well, and, and two of the players that did get yellows on our end, Sean Wright Phillips and Didier Drogba, they are now both sitting on four yellow cards. One more for either player means they're going to be suspended. Yeah, but that and that that was key in in those you know throughout the match. So last couple of uh, moments of the match, um, like I had said, you you liked the two saves that that Restrepo made in the first half, uh, Dominic. I like the save that that Restrepo made in the ninetieth. Uh, Drogba curls that free kick right around the wall, and if Restrepo doesn't make a diving save there, that's the same type of goal that he scored against Orange County, and we would have been sitting one-one. I don't think, you know, I, I think if Restrepo is not on his game like he was last night and doesn't make that save, you know, we're we're staring a point in the face. So, you know, I w- I would say that save was just as key, you know, if not more important than the first two that he had saved earlier. And then, uh, you know, the last thing we'll kind of talk about with Restrepo, uh, 92nd minute, Drogba takes that last free kick that he had and hits off the wall, and Rising tries to get it, and it kind of bounces around and heads out for a goal kick. Let's give Restrepo an Academy Award for for best flop of the year. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, it looked. I mean, when you talk about flops. I mean, it looked like a deer had been shot from 60 yards, and it was a delayed reaction to go down. I mean, I I have never – I've seen some bad goalie goalies go down in, in situations like that, but that one took the cake last night and, and just unbelievable. So a one nothing loss and, and just too many things that you, you just wished you had back and Oh, I mean, even even the 69th minute when Cortez put it on frame and Ben Noonan clears it off the line with his head. I mean, that's another huge play, but that's also a shot that would go in eight out of ten times. You know, only San Antonio and a couple teams seem to have the ability to defend like that. So credit where credit is due, they do have an elite defense, but um, that's a really tough result to take. Because when you create the three best scoring chances and you end up on the wrong side of the scoreline and you get nothing to show for it, that's really tough to take. Well, we do have some post-game audio for you to hear, and here right now is the comments of Coach Patrice Carterone and goalkeeper Josh Cohen talking about the events of last night's game. Your interpretation on the penalty call? Oh, the, have to, uh, we have to accept huh, the referee gave the penalty, so I don't want to, to argue about it. I'm, uh, I'm really sad uh, for the boys because I really have the feeling that it was our best game uh, since I'm here. We, we, have, we did a great performance today. 
we should have, uh, I think we deserve today at least a draw and we did a very good, uh, very good game. If we keep on working like this and if we keep on uh, progressing like this, I'm sure uh, step by step we, uh, we, we can make, uh, we can have better results and do, uh, and have more points for sure. You made a lot of sweeping changes on the back line tonight. Gibbons coming in, Dia back to the left. Uh, getting Jordan Stewart back in the the mix, kind of tell us your thought process behind that this week. Oh, you know, I have, uh, have many players that are working hard at the training. So when you lose, uh, when you lose like we did uh, last last week uh, against us, uh, you you have to respect the players that are performant at the training. They they were waiting for the good moment. I was also waiting for the good moment for them to start. But uh, most, um, I'm really happy about what the boys did today. I'm very sad about the result because we. Definitely, we deserve at least one point tonight. So you, a lot of good build-up tonight. Were you pleased to see what you were seeing there with the build-up from the back moving towards the front? Yeah, you know, we, we did face today a team that is uh, that has a lot of good results from the start of the season. And you know that against that kind of team, you cannot do any mistake. We did a big mistake, amazing mistake, uh, 20 minutes from the end. But um, anyway, we must keep on working and keep the spirit, and I'm sure a better day will come. Getting Alessandro Rigi and Chris Cortez back in the lineup, yeah. how important and how key is that to get them back in? Yeah, for sure. We, we don't have any more, except uh, Lucune, we don't have any other injury. Right now, most of the players are ready, so as I just said, for the future, the performance of, of tonight is a lot of hope for the future. Does it become now a point of, I have a lot of good players, now I want to see what they can do. Is it, is it now becoming more of a fight on the field during practice for them to get time? Or, or are you seeing things in different individuals that might help in certain games and certain situations? Well, at the moment, you know, uh, the, I really have to find a way for us to, uh, to, be, uh, to be better defensively because we cannot concede, uh, even like today, we, it was difficult against a good team, but we cannot concede so, uh, such a goal. So we have to, to improve defensively. For us, after in attack, we have so many... Uh, so many options, and it gives me a lot of uh, opportunities and possibility to, to change, so that's perfect. How much uh, frustration did you sense from the fans after that penalty kick? I can understand because really, uh, as I said, we really deserved at least a draw tonight, and I'm, that's why I'm really sad to, to lose this game. I don't want to argue about the penalty, you know, uh, the game is over, so... I, I just think we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't give them this uh, this penalty like that. The referee don't have to whistle. Tough result for these guys. How do you get them turned around mentally and physically for next week? We it's a game away. It's a game away in LA. We need the three points there for for us to to still thinking about the playoff. You know our challenge at the moment is still to qualify the team for for the playoff for the first time of the history. So we very very we have many teams just in front of us. So we must. Uh, we must keep uh, working hard, we must be positive, and uh, playing like this, like we did tonight, I'm sure we'll have some good results in the next week. Thanks. Thank you, Coach. Uh, what did you see from them? Uh, what uh, what did you guys do so well there? Um, I think we just uh, we made a couple changes to Justin. We know kind of that they're a very quick team, like to get attack up the sides. And I think we did a really great job containing that. We we held them on the flanks and stayed with them all the way. And we tracked our runners really well in the back. Offensively, we got into good spaces, got in behind, and uh, just got a little unlucky. Your your interpretation on the penalty call? Uh, it's rough, you know, for for uh, you know a player out here. You give a PK, you always 
run back in your head, you know, a million times that night thinking, oh, what could I have done different? So I'm just starting that process right now. But, I mean, I I saw they hit a good ball in. I came out. The guy got his cleat up to it first just to poke it in the air. I set, and the guy went knee first into my chest. And so I don't know much else I could have done there. You've seen so many changes on the back line recently. You go from playing three in the back to four in the back. Is there a certain system that that comforts you, or are you willing to adapt to the changes that they make? Or um, I think you know it's we have a really uh, versatile team, and so being able to adapt is definitely a skill and a positive for us. And coming into the game, as long as everyone's on the same page, we're communicating well. It really doesn't matter how you know what system we're playing in, as long as we're all there together, we can do it well and we can uh, do it successfully. Just kind of going back to the penalty kick real quick, could you sense the, the fans' kind of frustration with, with what happened after the after win goal? Oh, definitely. You know, uh, late in the game like that, especially when we had a lot of momentum going our way, uh, it, it's really tough. You know, there's frustration on the field and there's definitely frustration from the fans. And there's the comments from Patrice Carterone and Josh Cohen. Obviously, you can hear and Josh, you know, talking about the play itself and and you know what he saw in everything. And it's good to hear Patrice Carterone feel like you know the game you know last night was the best that that he's seen you know this club play all season under his direction. I mean, you know, granted now we're we're zero and two in the last two games, but still, you know, two two and four right now with with Carterone is not a bad effort so far obviously we've got some winnable games coming up you know especially as we talk about as we go into uh you know the next contest for Phoenix Rising next week against uh, LA Galaxy 2 I mean guys this is a, this is a huge a huge three-point game that we uh, should have no doubts is going over there and knowing we can take the three points from them yeah, hopefully we can uh, go over there and beat them up a little bit. They've uh, given up 42 goals so far this season. I think that's uh, positive. That gives us a maybe a good chance to uh, wash away that negative seven goal differential we have right now. Just to play devil's advocate, though, they have a win and a draw in their last two matches. They are playing tonight, so we don't know how that's going to fare. But, you know, they're a team that's shown a little bit of promise in both matches, even though we did get the wins over them earlier this season, they were matches we had to come from behind. They were tough ones. Um, but if we can get the win, that would get us back on the right track. It would also be our first ever season sweep of Los Dos. Uh, that would be a huge accomplishment, no matter how bad their team is this season or what roster they put out, even if they do decide to put in all backups or third stringers. Still, to beat any team three times in three matches is a very impressive accomplishment especially with two of those being on the road. So that's something that we can look forward to. And, uh, you know, the fact that we've taken, you know, almost a third of our points this season off of them, uh, hopefully we can add to that total this Saturday. One of the interesting things, too, when you think about it is, you know, you, you look at what's happened with with not just Los Dos, but you look at what's happened with the parent club as well. And as many injuries as, as the parent club has gone through, you know, which is forcing, you know, the hand of, of, of Galaxy 2 to play players that they don't normally, you know, would see action. You know, it, granted, it helps teams like us in the standings and would make a big difference. But, you know, it, it's interesting as, as the struggles they've gone through. And obviously, you know, you hated to see this week that, that Kurt Anolfo, uh was fired, you know, as 
coach of the galaxy and replaced Ziggy Schmidt. But, but, you know, I, I thought, you know, Kurt in his time when he was working with Los Dos, you know, did an absolutely wonderful job, you know, between him and when, when Bruce Arena was there, you know, I think the two of them had a, a great cohesion going. And I think ever since Bruce left, left the galaxy to go back to the men's national team, I think LA galaxy has kind of been in a little bit of disarray, not just, you know, the main team, but you go from top to bottom down through the Academy. And I think they've had some struggles there recently trying to find the right guy to, to head them in the, in the right direction as they move forward. So. Yeah. And with uh, Los Dos, they also have two matches, including today before we play them on Saturday. So that could also be a factor. Yeah, that would be three matches in seven days. So that is something to keep an eye on. Um, but I think I think that's all. I mean, I guess one last point, though, is you can never take anything for granted. And a classic example of this is Portland getting three points, Timbers two over RGV this week. And their keeper saved two penalty kicks to preserve that win. So the key lesson there is you can never take an opponent for granted Um Something that might be nice to hear for Rising fans, our next road opponent is actually RGV. And that's one of the only teams that it's, it's they are on worse form than we are. Um, I think that's three losses running now and only one point from their last five games. So this is a real opportunity, even though we are going on a three-game road trip. It's away to Los Dos, away to RGV, and away to Orange County, who, you know... I think we were the better team in that match, even though we only had a point to show for it. And and the flip side of that is, if we don't win this this Saturday, any any metaphorical panic button becomes a real panic button, and I think we have to start thinking about pressing it if we can't get three this Saturday. So I think that'll do it for our Los Dos match preview. I think now is a good time to get into USL scores and standings. Jeff, would you like to get on that? A light week for the Western Conference for the most part. I mean, not not a lot of games played midweek this week. So a lot, you know, a lot of action happening in the East this week. So we'll go through the scores. Uh, on Wednesday, Charlotte and Richmond had a zero zero draw. Pittsburgh and Charleston played to a two two draw. It was Rochester two, Toronto nothing. And then the only Western Conference game that really mattered during the week was uh, Real Monarchs had a two one win over Rio Grande Valley. It was uh, goals by Haber and Hoffman for uh, Real Monarchs sandwiched around an Escalon goal from Rio Grande uh, that gave Real Monarchs the three points there. Obviously, they're staying on a hot streak as they as they move forward. Uh, getting into action from Saturday, it was Charlotte with a 4 nothing win over Bethlehem. It was Charleston and Orlando playing to a nil-nil draw. Rochester came back and beat FC Cincinnati 3-2. It was Ottawa 2-0 over Toronto. St. Louis had a 1-0 win over Richmond. It was Louisville 2, New York Red Bulls 2-1. And Tampa Bay had a 2-0 win over Pittsburgh. Games of importance in the Western Conference on Saturday. Colorado Springs got a 2-1 win over Seattle Sounders 2. Uh, it was Malcolm scoring for Colorado Springs and, and got an own goal from from Narbon And uh, Mathers had a goal for Seattle Sounders, too. So that was a key three points there for Colorado Springs as they moved up into the, the top eight in the standings. Um, another key result in the West, uh, Orange County getting a one nothing win over Vancouver. 
an early Pineda goal in the 10th minute gives Orange County three points. And, and as you'll hear in, uh, in the standings in just a moment, uh, that, you know, that propels them now into the top eight of the standings. Which is very impressive for Orange County. I just wanted to say a quick thing about that Cincinnati game. Um, you know, you heard us earlier in the episode talking about officiating and the effects it can have on these matches. You know, USL quality of play has really gone up this year, and I'm not sure if the refereeing quality has gone up to match it. Nowhere was this better evidence than the Rochester FC Cincinnati match. So this match is 1-1 going into the last 20 minutes. You know, Cincinnati's looking for the winner. Um, there were two penalties called on FC Cincinnati within three minutes. Um, pretty insane stuff if you think about it. Uh, the first one was converted by Rochester in the 78th minute. And that one, I think, was a good call. It was a uh, tackle in the box. You could at least see why it was called. The second one was called for a handball in the 81st minute. And that ball hit the FC Cincinnati player's chest. It was nowhere near his hand at all. A couple Rochester players put their hands up to appeal for it. Immediately, the kick was given. So in a span of, you know, four minutes, you go from 1-1 looking for the win to down 1-3. And then moments afterwards, um, FC Cincinnati pulls one back on a penalty, which was a good call. Um, but what's what's really bizarre even before the penalties, um, you know, JB Fall gets a double yellow for a red. But then um, another situation where maybe the ref loses control of the game, after the second penalty, FC Cincinnati players continue to um, give the ref grief. Uh, his name, by the way, is Guido Gonzalez Jr. And he gave a straight red card to Dallas J of FC Cincinnati. So they were down to nine men at the end. Still managed to pull one back, but just absolutely bizarre stuff. And, you know, another match where, unfortunately, the refereeing becomes the primary talking point from it and overshadows what otherwise was a very entertaining and thralling match. And then we'll get into one more interesting, you know, the last interesting result of Saturday, which also involves some some late uh, refereeing issues. Uh Timbers 2 gets the 2-1 victory over Rio Grande Valley. Uh, Muhammad and Bijev get goals for Timbers 2. Wharton scored for uh, Rio Grande Valley late, but a red card on on their captain uh, in the 90th minute. Uh, interest, you know, like you said, it, it's it's been an interesting week seeing the officiating around the league, and it really makes you start wondering, you know, where things are headed as we get into, you know, the critical point of the season where where some of these points are very huge and do you trust the officiating that's out there? Well, trust it or not, they still have to play the matches. We need to try to put ourselves in situations where we have an early lead so that we have a buffer for potential bad calls or late momentum shifts. Yep. Uh, games that are being played today uh, before we recorded this, uh, Swope Park Rangers are playing Reno and uh, LA Galaxy 2 are playing uh, Oklahoma City Energy to, to round out Week 19. So we get to the standings of the Western Conference after after Week 19. It's uh, Real Monarchs still at the top, 15-2-2 two two for 47 points. 
with the win, San Antonio now goes into second at 11-1-7 for 40 points. Swope Park Rangers is at the moment in third, 12-4-2 at 38 points. They are on a seven-game winning streak, 8-0-2 in their last 10 matches. So that is quite an amazing run that, that Swope Park Rangers is on. Sacramento is in fourth at 8-6-4 for 28 points. Reno at the moment is in fifth at 7-4-6 for 27 points with a plus-19 goal differential. Then it's Colorado Springs in sixth at 7-8-6 for 27 points with a minus-1 goal differential. Tulsa is in seventh, 8-8-1 for 25 points. And rounding out the top eight right now is Orange County, 7-4-4, 25 points. Then we get into ninth place, Seattle Sounders 2, 7-12-2 for 23 points. Oklahoma City is in 10th, 6-8-4, 22 points with a minus-5 goal differential. Then it's Phoenix in 11th, 6-7-4, 22 points and a minus-7 goal differential. Then it's Rio Grande Valley in 12th, 6-10-3 for 21 points. 13th Vancouver, 4-10-5, 17 points. 14th, LA Galaxy 2, 4, 11, and 3 for 15 points. And rounding out the standings, Portland Timbers 2, 2, 5, and 13, 9 points. Again, guys, we, 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 can, we can keep mentioning this and keep mentioning this. Games in hand, games in hand, games in hand. It's still not going to matter, you know, if we can't pick up these huge points on the road coming up, uh, playing teams that are below us in the standings. The only team that's going to be above us by the time we we get there will be that Orange County match in three weeks. You know, when at that point, you know, the the differential uh, with Orange County as far as games played will be all made up. And we'll still have games in hand most likely against most of these other teams being that we're only playing one game a week right now. Obviously, the key month for us is going to be September when that huge schedule comes in September, guys. Yeah, I feel like uh, every week we keep saying we have games in hand, but we don't don't seem to make any progress with that. So hopefully get some points before the schedule kind of balances out. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're we're hurting for a win right now. There's no way to sugarcoat that. Um, and hopefully Los Dos can come up big for us, as they have <laughs> done twice already. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's not a great time to be a rising fan at the moment. That's going to wrap up this week as far as uh, USL standings and the uh, scores for this week. And up next on this Rising as One podcast is a guest that needs no introduction, but he's going to get one anyways. It's Kyle Kepner, who writes with Firebird Rising. He writes for Soccer Nation. He writes for Indomitable City Soccer. That's the Sacramento Republic uh, blog for Sports Nation. And he's really a know-it-all. He's even on the USL show uh, most weeks. That's a great one. Um, welcome to our podcast. Uh, thanks a lot, man. Got a chance to do it with Matt a while back, so it's fun. And there were a couple things that we're going to get to. The first one uh, would be your thoughts on Phoenix Rising as we've just passed the midway point of this season. Uh, there's going to be an article coming out tomorrow on Firebird Rising about the uh, Phoenix Rising season to this point. So I guess the first question would be, if you had to give the team a grade, what would your grade be? Uh, <laughs> are we talking purely results on the field at this point? Yeah. I mean, for results on the field, I'm going to give them a C+. It's clear that they're trying, but uh, and obviously there's a 
great deal of talent all over the field. They just haven't just haven't put it together. And there's a multitude of uh, X factors in there that um, that are probably to blame, if you will. And I'm sure we'll hash out a couple of those. But um, yeah, overall, it's it's tough to give the team a, a great score when they're still on the bubble of the playoffs and haven't beaten. I think they've beaten one team that looks like they're on the way to the playoffs. So uh, that's a that's a difficult thing when they when they put in such great effort and they're you know, you and I know a lot of the players and coaching staff and they're cool people and there's no question that the effort is there, but the results speak for themselves and it's just it's very it's a very meh record right now. Unfortunately that is the case, although it looks like the schedule's gonna ease up a little bit coming up. Uh this is another question we posted on the Twitter page, and we've seen some very different responses on this. The question is, if Phoenix Rising doesn't make the playoffs this season, is it a total failure, or would you say no because of some of the off-field things, signing of Didier Drogba, bringing in Patrice Carterone, that kind of thing? Uh, again, there's so many variables. You'd love to think that in one year they can turn it around and uh, do all the right things to get them into the playoffs, but the fact is that this is the USL and the league is growing and there's, <laughs> there's so many different things to contend with. Um, I think having a consistent winner at this level is a very difficult thing to, to put your finger on maybe going forward from here. Like once, uh, once Patrice has more time to put his stamp on the lineup, uh, this is only eight games for him and, you know, dealing with the injuries to, um, to Rigi and, um, and uh, Cortez getting back. I mean, Luke line. Rooney, Rigi. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know to, if, uh, if Carterone and, and uh, Rooney overlapped at all. I can't remember, but there's just, there's just no way for me to call this year a failure if they don't make it to the playoffs when there's so, so many things going on and so much effort has been put into the, the MLS bid, the stadium, all these other things. Like I, I don't know. It's as a fan watching it, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to be able to throw my hands up and say, "Well, you know, four years without a without a trip to the playoffs, they're clearly not interested and clearly incapable." It's just not the case. There's too many things going on. Right, and I think um, I think that gets into a bit of a transition. Um, so you talk about some of the things that are going on off the field. A couple of weeks ago, you had an article with Soccer Nation. And, you know, you had great exclusive access with several of the Phoenix Rising owners about their plans to have an MLS-ready stadium by 2020. Can you kind of walk us through the article a little bit? Yeah, it started It started a couple of months ago. I was seeing all the, all the work that was going in. And, you know, Matt and I talked about it the last time I was on the pod. They had just secured uh, Goldman Sachs financing for the for the new stadium for the the proposed MLS stadium at this point and everything just kind of looked like it was a done deal I mean other than picking other than picking the actual stadium design I didn't really see any roadblocks and so I was in I was in communication with the team fairly constant fairly consistently saying you know hey or is there anything we should know about like maybe you guys like uh, maybe we do a little bit of publicity to uh you know, to bring some awareness to it because I don't put a lot of stock into any given uh, bloggers 
rating or ranking of the MLS bids, but when one after another is coming out, and the one that the one that Brian Strauss wrote was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, um, where he was saying that you know it looks like we may be out of twelve bids that were so exciting back in January, maybe only two or three cities have a legitimate chance of succeeding in MLS, much less getting getting the nod. So it was. Uh, I was looking at this, I was going, well, there's, there's got to be something that I'm not seeing. There's got to be some roadblock, some something um, for this bid not to be rated higher. And so, like I said, I talked to the talked to the team on and off for a couple of months, and I said, hey, let's get an interview. Let's, let's figure this out. And so um, finally schedules worked, and we sat down. Um, uh, Jose Bosch, everybody knows, um, sat down with him and, and four of the owners. And I just grilled them for about an hour like what's what about this and what about this and what about this and at the end of it i came out pretty confident that they've checked all the boxes that are possibly within their control and now it's up to mls and their investors and all the intangibles and all the things that they see that i don't um but to summarize uh the most recent development is uh phoenix rising met with seven architects in kansas city where a lot of big architecture firms are located and just so happened there was a couple of MLS execs in town in town at the time unnamed MLS execs who went in skeptical that an affordable stadium could be could be built um that could cool off our dry hot phoenix air but all of the all the architects that came to the table and two or three in particular if i remember correctly had some really impressive, innovative designs for how to uh, for how to cool the air uh, to a to a temperature that's acceptable by MLS and FIFA standards, um, which surprisingly is much easier to do because we live in a dry climate. Uh, it's you know I said in the article it's a dry heat is not just a tourism slogan it's the reason that they're going to be able to get this done. Uh, you don't have the intense humidity here that they have in Orlando and Houston players places that already have teams, uh, so. That was the that was the first thing. MLS left those meetings saying, "Okay, you guys can clearly put up a stadium that doesn't need to have a dome, and the dome is the thing." Like, you know, we have we have two dome stadiums with retractable roofs in Phoenix already, and they were incredibly, incredibly expensive. And Phoenix Rising is not interested in something like that. It's it would price out almost anybody in MLS today. So MLS left those meetings knowing that. Uh, Phoenix could build a stadium that would have that would have a roof over the over the crowd, but not necessarily, uh, you know, a dome, and that they could keep they could keep it cool, and most importantly, build it on the budget that they already have. And so they're set to pick one of these architectural designs by by the third of August, which is what I think this coming Thursday. So that's pretty exciting. Wow. So so you're saying we need to look out for an announcement in the next few days? Exactly. They're going to name the uh, stadium architect and release their renderings. Wow. Out of those seven, correct? Out of those seven, yeah. Okay. Um, Speaking of quote-unquote done deals, I saw a piece out a few days ago from Indomitable City, and that's another site that you write for. Um, And this one was saying that Sacramento, you know, they already began excavating the land that will be built for the stadium. And basically that's a symbol of how far they are and how it's basically seen as a done deal. Would you agree with that assessment? And if so, why? Yeah, so the Sacramento the Sacramento Republic Stadium plan 
comes with a, a large mixed use project um, in downtown Sacramento at the rail yards, uh, the largest urban infill project in America. I've, I've heard it called. I can't remember exactly, but it's a it's a big project. And Kaiser Permanente is one of the big uh, partners on board. Um, something's going to get built there one way or another. But here's the thing. I think that the uh, the timeline for getting a stadium built in time for the 2020 season is very tight. And I think Sacramento Republic, they must know that they've already got the nod and it's just dotting T's and what is it? Dotting I's and crossing T's at this point. Um, so they're going ahead and they are prepping the land, doing what they need to do uh, to make sure that when their rainier season comes along, I guess they've, they've gotten some of this early work out of the way and it's a considerable amount of money. I thought, I think I read $7 million um, to get this bit of it done. And I don't see Republic and their bid sinking that kind of money into this, unless they've got the wink, wink, nod, nod from MLS that it's going to happen. Uh, I really think that they know, they know they have it in the bag. And so they're like, Hey, we're going to, we're not announcing that we've got the bid, but we, we already have it, so we're going to get rolling on this. So with that in mind, would you say Sacramento and Phoenix are the only two right now that are just a little bit ahead of everyone else? Would you put them in a separate tier, or would you really put Sacramento in its own tier? So in my mind, there are, there are three candidate cities for this year. Um, there's Sacramento, Phoenix, and Tampa. Uh, f- for what I do know... Tampa's cleared their political hurdles as well. Um, the owner, Bill Edwards, has said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sink my own money into uh, bringing the stadium up to MLS standards. All you got to do is give me the nod. So that that looks like a good deal, whether MLS wants that ownership group, that, that club, that city, I don't know. But I think they are as close to being done as, as Phoenix and Sacramento uh, without having, you know, shovels in the dirt. Um Here's why I would be surprised to hear Sacramento called. MLS is going to be in the cities that MLS wants to be in. And it's seemed pretty evident for the last couple of years that MLS is waiting for the larger media markets, the sexier media markets to catch up to Sacramento. That being said, I don't see them going back on the not a matter of if, but when talk that Garber has lavished on Sacramento since day one. I don't, I don't see them not getting in at this point, simply because of everything that's happened. Um, I'm not surprised that they've had to wait, but uh, they're getting in one way or another. So you're making it sound like it's more likely that Phoenix would be one of the first teams called than Sacramento. Yeah. And the reason for that is they've already, well, I mean, you, you look at it, and, and John McPherson pointed out, "Hey, we've got <laughs> we've got the uh, pop up stadium and the and the land already leveled in a lot of places. That's that's about as close to getting the land ready for an MLS stadium as Sacramento has. Um, and the benefit that Phoenix has is the media market size. We're the second largest media market without an MLS team uh, and growing. We're uh, you know, Phoenix has the has the top mark in all the demographic markets that MLS is looking for." and growing. Um, 
you know, 10, 12 years ago, I would have said Phoenix is way too saturated for this to work, even in, you know, even looking at the demographics. But obviously, um, MLS doesn't seem to doesn't seem to feel the same way. And a dozen or so of some of the wealthier, smarter businessmen in town are wagering a lot of time and money that uh, that this is a an accomplishable goal. So. Um, if I had to pick today, I'd say Phoenix has the best bid. Okay, and um, I'm just I'm just curious too because we do get some listeners from other cities. Uh, San Antonio is one that comes to mind. Why don't you see any other cities being strong contenders for this first round of bids? Political, political wrangling and tax dollars. Everybody else needs someone's permission in order to get done the stadium that MLS wants pure and simple. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate and it's not fair to some really solid fan bases. I see you San Antonio. I feel the pain. It has been difficult to be a fan here for the last three, four, 10, 20 years. But, um, the ownership group came out and they, worked with the Indian community and they recognized the piece of land that MLS identified 10, 12 years ago when they first decided to, to take a look at Phoenix. Mark Abbott said it himself. Like I walked that piece of property. It's a great, it's a great site. It's a great location. So unfortunately that's all there is to it. If you can't, if you can't build the stadium that MLS wants without somebody's, without somebody's approval, then you're going to fall behind in this process. St. Louis found that out. San Diego found that out. It's it's a bummer. It's just how it's going right now. Something that I've always been concerned about, and you're you're trying to say that I shouldn't be as worried about this, but something I've always been worried about is, okay, say they give the first two bids to Sacramento and Tampa, or say that Cincinnati gets approval for Northern Kentucky site, and it goes San, Sacramento and Cincy as the first two bids. And then when it comes down to those last two, other bids like San Antonio, San Diego, Nashville, they start getting their ducks in a row, and then we possibly get leapfrogged for that second spot. Do you think that's even a possibility? Uh, I don't see I don't see MLS falling or Phoenix falling past uh, the fourth slot, the fourth and air quote final slot, and even if it did go back and see my air quotes. MLS isn't stopping at 28. They're not, they're not going to do it. Yeah. They, they want San Diego. They want Detroit and they're not going to stop until they get them. And you're thinking it's just going to be a matter of time until there's another announcement, 30 or 32. Correct. Okay. Um, maybe to finish this off on a lighter note. Um, so you've been, you've been supporting this team before it's Phoenix rising days back in its Arizona United days. Um, you know, longer than almost anyone, certainly longer than me. Do you have a couple interesting or lighthearted stories from those days playing out in Peoria? Uh, one one fun anecdote was um, the it was the first or second game that I covered in 2014. Alec Papadakis, the uh, CEO of uh, USL, whatever the company is that owns USL, um, he was in town for a game, and he gathered the media around and. Um, talked about expansion and what, and laid out some things that if I, if the article was still available today, it's up on a site that went defunct last year. Um, but he talked about a lot of the things that have 
that seemed ridiculous at the time but have come to fruition. That's the the growth of the league, the conference uh, division. Um, it's absolutely insane. The only thing that came from that day that that uh, that he talked about. Um, he said without saying that he was on his way to Tucson to talk to them about expansion and we're three years down the road and that hasn't happened yet. But, um, I know that I know the folks down there are keeping their eye on different opportunities. So, uh, that'll happen someday, but that was pretty cool on like my first or first or second game covering the league to, to meet, uh, Mr. Papadakis. And then the other thing is, uh, Kyle Eng, who, um, obviously bought the rights to the USL franchise when the USL closed, uh, Phoenix FC Wolves. Um, Kyle used to come up to the to the press box, and he'd ask me about the blog that I was writing for. He's like, "Oh, I, you know, I read your blog and read your stuff." And um, he's like, "I was just wondering, like, what do they pay bloggers right now? What do you, what do you, what are you making for this?" And I said, "Oh, I'm just doing this for fun." And he's like, "No, no, go ahead. Really, what what are they paying?" I said, "No, no, they don't they don't pay anything." I, I, I said, "Let me tell you something." I go. I'm a fan and I was looking for a way to get close to the action. Okay. I said, I'm sitting here in the press box. Uh, you have food and drink here available. After this game, I'm going to go talk to your players and uh, your coach. One on one in some cases. You, they don't have to pay me. It's fine. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, if you say so. <laughs> That's a good outlook to have. I think a lot of people uh, don't take it as humbly as you do. But um, one one very last question, I promise is the last question. Uh, we're a pretty young podcast here, and there might be some listeners that are trying to start their own projects, their own blogs, their own podcasts. Any advice for any of us? Do it. Absolutely do it. Um, it's so easy. Okay, so you can download Audacity, or I think if you're a Mac user, it's GarageBand. They're free. Um, get, a, get a decent mic for 40, 50 bucks. Um, get a subscription to Libsyn. I think the uh, L I B S Y N.com. I believe the starter package is $5 a month or something like that. Uh, you can, you can set up a Patreon account. You can uh, look for sponsors in your town that are looking to partner with uh, something having to do with, the, with the club. Um, gosh, there's just, there's just so many avenues. And like, I've got, I've got a few ideas that we may see come to fruition here in the next year or two. But if you're, if you're even considering, uh, podcasting as a medium i say go for it because it's it's not everybody that feels like writing or or you know maybe you've never thought you were good at writing but you think you have something to say on the team last night at the phoenix game um after the phoenix game with san antonio fc i talked to uh, tim holt for a couple of minutes i talked to uh and for, for those who don't know, Tim Holt is the managing director of San Antonio FC, long-time, long-time president of the USL, um, commissioner up until uh, San Antonio FC launched. And I, I, can't, I can't pinpoint um, very many people, if anyone, who has done more to grow uh, lower division soccer in the last decade. And he said some very nice things to complement the work that I and other bloggers and podcasters have done to support the league. And you might sit back and you think, I can't have that kind of impact. But at this level, it is still small enough and it's still it's still a family. You know what I mean? It's still uh, it's still small enough that you can make a difference and they appreciate it. And maybe you look around and you notice that your local team isn't getting press from the from the from the newspaper or from the big radio stations every week. Jump in there and do something 
to 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 be more involved uh, the team will appreciate it if they don't they're crazy there's just there's just, <laughs> there's just not a team in lower division soccer today that can afford to uh turn back really honest coverage so uh do some homework get in touch with me i believe i think the dms on my twitter are open uh, get in touch with rising pod but seriously anybody's thinking about writing, blogging, podcasting, please, please consider it harder and just do it. Well, I think that's about to do it for us. Thank you so much. I mean, looking at what we've done over the past four months as a podcast, you've been a great resource, even though we're not giving you the credit that maybe you deserve on air enough. Uh, you've been <laughs> there, you know, countless messages, late night emails, text, pretty much anything possible to make us look a little bit more responsible than we are. So we appreciate that. And since you were mentioning your DMs, where can people find you on Twitter? My Twitter is at Kyle J. Kepner. Um, also, we're, uh, we're revamping it, but the USL show at the USL show on Twitter is going to, li- is going to live on. And you can find the great work that uh, the SB Nation blog, uh, Indomitable, Indomitable City Soccer does. It's still the only USL-centered blog on SB Nation. That's at Blurbs Indomita. All right. Thanks for all the shout outs. I think that'll do it. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Tom. And that was our interview with Kyle Kepner, one of the longest tenured uh, fans of Phoenix Rising, Arizona United before that. And it's always great to get his insights on the team, on the ownership group. These are some insights that you really won't hear very in very many other places. He just adds a wealth of information to the table and Even though he hasn't showed up on our podcast before, he's always in our ears. He's always up at the press box giving us pointers, telling us, you got to record on Google Hangout. You can't use a single microphone. Um, But he's just always doing these things and really helping us more than we can express at the moment. Yeah, I always always enjoy listening to his uh, USL show podcast as well. It's a pretty fun podcast to listen to. You can't can't ask for a better better man to, to not only lead, you know, firebird rising but but to lead us all as one you know as we as we move forward trying to you know express you know our feelings for the club and express you know how much we enjoy being around the club and 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 it's it's a joy to have have kyle greatly involved in that so and with that i think it's time for closing thoughts we saw you know what happened at the end of the match uh with with the fans and and the incident that happened down at the at that end um, you know, we've, we've talked about it a number of times already and we've, we've kind of said our piece about it, but you know, most, most of those fans are generally good soccer fans and I know they are. And, and, you know, I, I talked with, with John and Monica McPherson before the game on Saturday and, and got some great insights from them as far as, you know, things that are, that are looking up for, for the supporters group. And they were talking about how they made some slight changes you know, separating themselves from the banditos and, 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 you know, kind of trying to, to work chance, you know, in a way that, that would work for everybody. And it's, it's great to hear that, that they're all trying to work together, you know, for a common goal. Obviously they've supplied, they, they've already uh, had their, their uh, paperwork filed for the independent supporters group, which is a great, you know, great concept, especially, you know, since it involves all the, all the MLS teams. So it, it's great that they have that already out on the front foot and already taken care of. But, 
but you know, for the fan that that sits there and is and is there just to you know have a good time and have a few beers and and enjoy some good soccer, you know, pay attention to what those guys do. They really know what the, they really know what they're talking about when it comes to the game, and they really know what how to deal with with situations and 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 stuff like that. So so if you if you ever go back out to another game and 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 you feel you're not quite sure as to you know what what is right etiquette what's not right etiquette and stuff like that follow you know follow those guys at LFR and follow those guys at Bandidos they'll they'll show you guys the right way to do things so just just keep that in the back of your mind as as you go forward uh watching games the rest of the season so i thought we played well and deserved a draw last night against San Antonio but uh unfortunately the questionable penalty kick uh took that point away from us even though it wasn't the result that we ever want to see, um, there were some positive takeaways. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips and Stewart were back on the pitch. They put in a good full match last night. Um, our man Rigi, he comes back on uh, late in the game um, after a few weeks from injury. Uh, the crowd was pretty excited to see him there. And, uh, you know, it's good to have some of these key players back in the lineup as we start our uh, upcoming away stretch. And uh, really a stretch where we need some solid wins to wash away that negative seven goal differential that we have. Um, My thoughts are twofold. We ran a Twitter poll on the Twitter page this week about, you know, if we don't make the playoffs this season, is it a total failure? And, you know, most people are actually saying yes on this one. Um, I think there are certainly opinions both ways. I actually voted yes myself. Um, I think from day one, this was such a huge priority for us and yet now we're sitting in 11th place you know granted we can say games in hand but the fact of the matter is we are getting into the nitty-gritty of the season right now we're getting into august september october and that switch needs to be flipped pretty soon um i i don't know what your guys's take on this is but i i think it would be a pretty major failure if we don't make playoffs yes we got in for the mls bid yes we signed Drogba. That's all well and good, um, but at least in the short term, at least in the immediate, you know, we're not, we don't have unrealistic expectations. We know there are some very strong teams out there, teams that we realistically aren't on the level of yet. Um, you know, Monarchs certainly is the first one that comes to mind, but I would even, I really would even throw San Antonio in there at this point and uh, Swope as well. Uh, you know, maybe on a given day we can take those teams, but I don't think we're quite at their level of consistency yet. Uh, but at least make the playoffs. That would be a huge disappointment. The other one, um, and this this is actually more just about um, how crazy it is that our podcast has gained as much traction as it has in such a short time. You know, four months ago, we were just starting this thing almost off a whim, you know, not much of a plan, really. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to build a Twitter presence with our account but to get to the point where we're getting, you know, uh, double-digit favorites on a lot of our tweets and a lot of banter between opposing fan bases, there's been a lot of banter with San Antonio fans, which I think is good because at the end of the day, the important thing is just to get interest drummed up about these USL matches to make people care. And it's kind of like MLS's whole thing is like, we need to build rivalries. That's good for the game. Any anything that gets a conversation started, any uh, you know rivalries, so to speak, I think that's good for the game. 
Um, hopefully, Phoenix and San Antonio will both be able to make the jump to MLS uh, and continue that for quite some time because I think I think these are two fan bases that uh, have a proclivity to banter with each other. Um, and I'm a man of my word too. If San Antonio makes the Western Conference Finals, I will eat a hot pepper of uh, of Mr. Ramon Cole's choice. Um, I will not back down from that. But I guess I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, by all means, opposing fans are welcome to tweet back at us and get some banter going because banter gets people interested. Uh, that's what drives content. I'm all for it. So. Thank you, San Antonio fans. You guys are some good ones. Thoughts maybe on the playoff question? I, you know, yeah, I, I think it would be a huge disappointment. I think, and I think only in the fact because, you know, we have such big name talent. I think that's, you know, we live in a we live in a town where big names means, you know, big value. You know whether it was Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling with the Diamondbacks, whether it was Charles Barkley and Steve Nash with the Suns. You know, big names attract, and big names means you're supposed to go somewhere. And when you make the signings like Phoenix Rising has in Omar Bravo and Didier Drogba and Sean Wright Phillips, as a fan base, you're expecting to be one of the top teams in the league. So yeah, I I, I think people will be disappointed if if we don't make the playoffs. They'll look at this season as a failure and then the next step is okay, well what does that mean for ML MLS? And obviously, we know the answer to that question is what these guys are doing on the field right now have absolutely nothing to do with MLS. And that's something we can worry about 2 and 3 years down the line when we get the team and when we finally start playing in the league and that's when we that's when we really need to start looking at the talent level that's out there and the types of players that that you know we would want to have to build the culture around here what we're doing right now in the USL doesn't have much to do like you said with our MLS expansion bid so that's good um but that being said, as much effort that the ownership has put into this, building this team, getting these big signings, yeah, I think you, you need to get into the playoffs this season or it's considered a failure. So let's see if, we, you know, maybe we can turn stuff around here the second half of the season. But, you know, definitely have to start making some progress eventually. And, you know, we keep saying that we have, you know, games in hand, but we're not doing anything about that. So, you know, maybe hopefully this is our time, you know, and we don't, keep saying that and end up running out of time and i think both of us would agree with that um well i think that will do it for this week's episode we will be back next sunday following a game at los dos i hope to get a couple really fun interviews while i'm out in la um ideally with someone in the phoenix rising front office possibly an owner but no guarantees um and hopefully we'll have a lot of fun content to talk about and hopefully we'll have a third win over Los Dos to talk about as well. But that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Go Rising. Oh, 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 oh.